welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, we are going on a high-flying adventure. Yes, we are talking about 1978's Superman! Okay, I'm, I don't, I'm gonna forget the rest. <laughs> uh, Superman came out in 1978, starring Christopher Reeve, who is third billing on this movie. Well, yeah, he was an unknown at this time. Yeah, but he's the star of the movie. <laughs> well, they had to get butts in seats, so they put Marlon Brando's name first, even though he's only in the movie for five minutes. And they put Gene Hackman's name second because he was a star at this time. So Yeah. Superman is a very important character to our boy Scotty here. Indeed. Fun fact, I have a a few tattoos. I want to get more. I will someday. But for his birthday, like a few years ago, I bought Scotty his first tattoo. And, of course, his first tattoo was the Superman symbol on his shoulder here. Yes, I have it on my right shoulder. Superman means a whole lot to me. He is arguably one of the best comic book characters to have ever been written. Uh, Even though a lot of people do not know how to write him. There was a lot of time where, oh, if there's a random power, we'll give it to him. Like, he can suddenly sneeze ice breath. Or (laughs) he can travel so fast he turns back time (laughs) Uh, but but the essence of superman is he is an alien from a different world who chooses to see the good in humanity and try and save that good at all costs i think the problem too and this is coming from someone who's not an expert by any stretch of the imagination but i think an issue really is that superman is very of his time like especially this version of Superman, the Christopher Reeve version, he's got a vibe of like, hello, I'm here to save the world. And, oh, don't you worry, little girl. I'll get that cat out of the tree for you. Actually, I read something in regards to Christopher Reeve's performance and it like all clicked for me and made perfect sense. I read on the intranets that Christopher Reeve based his performance on Cary Grant in Bringing a Baby, which... Have you ever seen that movie? No. It's it's essentially, if you think of Cary Grant, it's the Cary Grantiest Cary Grant performance ever. It's very like, oh, hello, ma'am. I'm here to help you find your jungle cat. And then I'm off to marry my longtime girlfriend and not get married to you by the end of the movie, Catherine Hepburn. Oh, no, no. I'm a proper gentleman. That he, kind of thing. Well, yeah. and Superman has been a character again since like 19... 19- I want to say 1938, when the first action comics came out. Yes, the he the character was created by Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster, and he first appeared in Action Comics number one in 1938. So you're right. As I said, it's been very hard to do this character, and a lot of the movies get parts right, but don't get other parts right. Even when you look at, like, I love Smallville. Smallville was a big show for me. I actually think they did a great job showing the progression of what a young Superman had to go through to become Superman. And Tom Welling did a great job and should have been Superman probably more than Brandon Ralph. But you know what? Brandon Ralph had some moments too, but that movie, that movie's a whole nother fucking story. 
Well, let, let's kind of just go through the the timeline here of Superman's. So Christopher Reeve played Superman from 1978 until 1987. At least in the movie versions. There were Superman before. Right, right. But, but I, I meant in the movies. Yeah. Would you consider him the best, like the gold standard? I, I assume most people do, but I don't know. Like, is that the... Uh, it's tough. Again, he he's probably... You arguably, yeah, he's probably the gold standard because he's what every Superman after this you kind of base off. Well, maybe that's the real problem because I feel like this iteration of Superman could not work in modern cinema because if you look at Superman Returns, which was the Brandon Routh Superman, which you talked about, was in 2006, and we have obviously Man of Steel and all the DCEU iterations with Henry Cavill I feel like both of those even though I haven't seen the Brandon Routh one I know enough to know that like those two iterations are trying to take a darker spin on it but still taking a lot from Christopher Reeve so it's just like the tone is muddled I feel like maybe and plus Superman in general I feel like is a very bland character like he's just meant to be like super Jesus well, yes, and that's how a lot of people have written him. But there are great comics. And the thing is, Batman's still a cheesy fucking joke in the 70s, too. Batman hasn't become what Batman would become later on. You know, you had Caesar fucking Romero as the Joker. It's a joke. It's what superheroes were. As time has gone on, yes, they've gotten darker and darker. And Batman, especially, is one of the darkest characters. And that's what makes him versus Superman such a compelling idea is because they are almost polar opposites. Batman sees the negative in the world, while Superman always sees the positive. It is hard to make that character, in a two-hour setting, stand out. I mean, to be fair, I think Christopher Reeve does a good job in this movie. I, I just, full disclosure, right off the bat, was not a big fan of this movie. <laughs> I, I liked it, but I also... There was more that I didn't like. And that's, I mean, it's unfortunate, but like also I, I feel like it made me appreciate more the fact that Christopher Reeve does do a good job in it. However, I do think that in today's movie cinema land, I feel like it's increasingly difficult to make Superman a relatable character. It all depends about who writes for him, how this character turns out. You know, it's tough. So, this movie was directed by Richard Donner, who was behind such films as The Omen, Goonies, Scrooged, Lethal Weapon 1 through 4. So, he, he's got some good shit under his belt. Yeah, he's also got a reputation of being very difficult to work with at times. Yes, well, that's also a thing. There was constant tension between him and the producers of this film over the constantly increasing budget, as well as the shooting schedule. The shooting for this movie was supposed to take seven to eight months. It ended up taking 19 months. So that's a lot of cha-ching, cha-ching. However, the movie kind of made up for it. The budget came out to an estimated $55 million, which was the biggest at Warner Brothers at the time. And worldwide gross ended up being $300 million. It topped the box office for 13 weeks straight. It was the second highest grossing film of 1978 behind Greece. 
And at the time, it was the sixth highest grossing film ever. And it was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2017. It is a good movie. I enjoy the cheesiness and the, the fun of the movie. Uh, I do admit there are slow parts to it, but I have fun with it. I feel like, again, I'm coming as someone who's seeing this for the first time. I feel like if there wasn't so much power behind the character of Superman, so much love, so much hype, I feel like this would be on the verge of so bad it's good territory. Like, if, the, if it wasn't Superman, if it was just some, like, random fucking nobody superhero movie, this would be, like, in obscurity. I understand where you're coming from, but, again, I've loved this movie for a long time. I know there, again, I know there are flaws in the movie, but I still, again, I can sit down and watch this and enjoy it. Well, let, let's talk about the writing, okay? Because the writing is probably... <laughs> fucking weirdest and possibly worst part of the movie this film was originally written by mario puzzo and if you don't know who that is it's the gentleman that wrote both the novelization and the screenplay for the godfather i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse apparently when he wrote the original script for this it was deemed quote-unquote too epic and expensive (laughs) so there were a few more writers brought in there was david and leslie newman who co-wrote supermans one two and three and then we have robert benton who was also behind superman one two and three as well as bonnie and clyde and kramer versus kramer interesting so we, we have some talent here for sure but for some reason I just I feel like they just didn't know what to do with this character because and, and I get it because I mean at this point there's not really a lot of superhero movies in the in the tank to work from and even some things you have to suspend your disbelief especially with a superhero movie so I, I'm fine with certain things but in this script it just seems like there are certain logic holes that are pretty simple to potentially fill up but they kind of just leave them in the story. And it it's annoying <laughs> because, the, the, again, this is a movie about a guy that flies around and has x-ray vision. And, like, I'm not expecting it to be a true-to-life drama or anything. But it just, like, you know, make two plus two equal four. <sighs> it still equals four. <laughs> Whether you have a, a bird plane man flying around in a red... T- cape and blue spandex two plus two should still equal four i understand but it's difficult it is difficult for some people to write for a character that is literally a god it it got messy and yeah that's kind of what happens when you bring in five writers but despite all of that this movie again was very well received it was nominated for three Oscars in 1979. It was nominated for sound as well as editing, but lost both of those to The Deer Hunter. And of course, it was nominated for score because John Williams is John Williams. We'll talk about that in a hot second. But um, he was also nominated for a Golden Globe and won a Grammy for his score. And also... This movie won a special achievement award for drumroll, please. 
visual effects. <laughs> Which is laughable now, but at the time, I'm sure it was a big to-do. So you ready to get into the nitty and the gritty of this movie? Um, Yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay. We start with one of the best parts of this movie is the John Williams score. Absolutely. It's one of the things that really saves the movie, I think. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's the opening credits. Yeah, it's very epic. And it's it's super distinct, too. That's like the thing with John Williams is you can always make out a John Williams score. But yeah, it's really cool. It's really awesome. You got the graphics that are flying through. And uh, we land on Krypton. No, 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 dear. Krypton. Uh, let's not get into Krypton. This. Oh, God. I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure it's Krypton, not Krypton. Mr. Brando. Yeah, Marlon Brando plays Jarrell. And they have never, and I repeat, never, when Jarrell has ever appeared on screen, he has never been right. Well, especially with Marlon Brando, he pretty infamously in this movie was phoning it in like he didn't even memorize his lines he was only in this movie for like five minutes he was there for 12 days of shooting total and he was paid 3.7 million dollars for 12 days of shooting which made him the highest paid film star in the world at the time and he didn't give a fuck about anything that he was doing (laughs) Well, let's face it, Marlon Brando, after a certain amount of time, didn't give a fuck about anything. Well, yeah, this was after Godfather and before Apocalypse Now, so I guess this was kind of like a lull in his career. The first second he shows up on screen, I laughed audibly, like, it was so bad. It's like, from the forehead up, he looks like a a spaceman with his stark white, perfectly coiffed hair, and then from the forehead down, he just looks like a drunk. (laughs) like a sad raggedy ass drunk and i'm like oh my god (laughs) so we get thrown into this trial for zod and his crew yeah i thought they were gonna like show up later but they didn't i was like oh okay are they just setting it up for the sequel already yes so they just knew that there was gonna be a sequel i guess they assumed that yeah uh so they set up this trial and Zod, of course, is like, I'll make you and your heirs bow to me, Jarrell. Oh, yeah, that was funny. He said that. He was like, I'll make you bow to me, Jarrell, and your ass. And it sounded like he said, Your ass. <laughs> I laughed. It sounded like he said, I'll make your ass bow to me, Jarrell. <laughs> oh, God. I have to find entertainment in something here, guys. I'm having a rough go. So, Jarrell tells the rest of Krypton's ruling class that the planet's going to explode in about 30 days, give or take, and we need to get the fuck off the planet. But they're like, ha, you're funny. Uh, no, we're not. Yeah, th- th- that whole thing is stupid. I literally said to Scott, I'm like, so why don't they all just leave? And he tried to give me some excuse, but I, I wasn't buying that. And then they have this emotional, quote-unquote, emotional goodbye for their son. First of all, the mother says nothing. The mother is just fine, apparently, with chucking her kid in a spaceship and saying toodaloo. But then we have Marlon Brando supposedly giving this like emotional monologue to his son saying goodbye. And it's literally 
it's it's like he's reading a grocery list. Like, make sure you pick up some milk and some eggs and butter, young Kalel. <laughs> it's just so ugh. Now, see where you get this Jarrell who is fucking checked the fuck out. Then you get like Jarrell in Man of Steel, who beats up Zod. I, I'll never let this go. Oh my God. Whoever fucking decided that Jorel, a scientist, beat up the general of Krypton's army, stupid. Scott, there are so many problems with Man of Steel. I don't think that is on even the t- top ten list of things wrong with that movie. Anyway, <laughs> right after they send their son off into space, immediately the fucking planet starts deteriorating. And you can tell because the screen is in a complete red filter, which means danger, danger. Would you say they're in the danger zone? (gasps) Yes, I would, actually. (laughs) Everything is a crumbling. It kind of looks like we're running around in an old folks home because the whole, like, five-minute sequence is just of different old people going, oh, as things fall on them. All I could hear in my head was, I've fallen and I can't get up. Protect yourself with life call and you're never alone. Like over and over. <laughs> so the planet blows up. Kal-El is sent through space. And as this kid is flying through space, we get more of Marlon Brando. Just talking. I was so bored. It was like, you ever been on Spaceship Earth in Disney World? Yes. It was the little baby sitting in the little spaceship and you just hear a disembodied voice droning at you for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay, we understand he's flying through space. Can something happen already? (laughs) He crash lands on Earth. In a big open field in Kansas. But the impact of his ship causes the tire of Ma and Pa Kent's truck to pop. Oh, this is weird, though. Okay, so <laughs> we we have Ma and Pa Kent driving up to this huge crater in the ground, and they're like, oh, gosh darn it. I don't know how Midwestern people talk, but gosh darn it, Ma Kent, we popped a tire. Let's go check out this crater in the ground. Oh, look, there's a baby in that crater in the ground. Like, there, there's what? A, there's a naked three-year-old. And then the mom is just like, oh, let's keep it. I've been praying to God for so long for a child, and now he has delivered one. What? (laughs) You're not going to call anybody? There's a fucking huge crater in the middle of the ground, and there's a baby in it. Frankie, (laughs) how are you going to explain that? What do you mean? You don't have to explain it. You just come on down here, police officers or some manner of authority. Come down here and see this huge hole in the ground where this baby has been found. Ma'am, ma'am, have you been drinking? What do you mean? Have I been drinking, ma'am, sir? Do you not see the big ma'am, hole in the ground? Ma'am, ma'am, you don't see it? You, they won't even get to that point to be like, ma'am, what are you talking about? Why Have you been drinking? Sir, oh my God. Ma'am, okay, ma'am. fine. Don't call anybody. Fine. But then you're like, oh, God has delivered this baby to us. Really? This is, everything is wrong here, but it's fine because Jesus. Well, okay. The kid picks up a truck. A truck. A baby, a three-year-old baby picks up a truck and the mom's like, oh, let's keep him. What? What? Excuse me, ma'am. Like, not. I, I get it. Clark, he's a nice, nice boy. But theoretically, he could, like, kill you. 
just like with his pinky. So maybe, maybe this isn't wise. Well, it's okay, you know. Your bones are brittle. He could break you just by giving you a pat on the shoulder. Well, it's okay because they decide to keep young little, as they name him, Clark. Fucking poor decision making. We fast forward 15 years and Clark is a young strapping 18 year old boy who is the equipment manager of the football team. But he does get to meet Lana Lang, who is a character from the TV shows and happens to be Clark's love in high school. Oh, yeah. It was funny. They did this scene with her where uh, she's like, hey, Clark, a bunch of us are going to so-and-so's house to play records. And I'm like, ooh, play records. Is that like a euphemism for fucking in the 60s? <laughs> sure. Why not? Apparently it is. She tr- tries to invite Clark, but her boyfriend on the football team says no Clark you have to do our laundry so Clark runs home and he's kind of frustrated he's like I have all these gifts I can do all these things I can punt a football a country mile I can outrun a goddamn train why the fuck am I hiding I can be like the star of the football team and Pa Kent in his all words of wisdom is like you're meant for great things Scoring touchdowns isn't really great things. It's fine, but it's not the greatness you're truly meant for. This was a better pep talk uh, between father and son than in the Man of Steel movie, for sure. Clark, you have to keep this side of yourself a secret. What was I supposed to do? Just let him die? Maybe. (laughs) So fucking stupid. I understand what they were trying to go for. It sounds bad. It's really dumb. But then, right after this little pep talk, immediately Pa Kent just has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he dies. And I made the argument that perhaps it was because <laughs> because the Kents were so overly exposed to radiation being around Clark. So Clark gets a sense from his spaceship that the Kents kept in the barn a crystal calls to him. He picks up the crystal and goes to his mom and says, I have to go. Why? Because I must. But why? <laughs> Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I'm 18. I can go anywhere. Okay. I'm built. No, I, I got that. But like, where are you going to go? I must go to the Arctic. Why? Because. Because the crystal told you to? <laughs> yes. That doesn't make any sense, Clark. Like, literally, he leaves this farm with his mother, who he loves, who, by the way, she just lost her husband, and now she's losing her son, too. That's really great. And then he goes off, and he ends up in the Arctic for no reason. It's not explained at all. And then he just throws this crystal that supposedly is so important to him into the fucking snow. (laughs) And then up pops a fucking magical ice house. Why? The Fortress of Solitude. Why? Nothing makes sense. Because that is an important part of the Superman mythos, the Fortress of Solitude. Right. But which what, is in the Arctic. Okay, hold on. In this movie, don't talk to me about lore. In this movie, what is the importance of the Fortress of Solitude? It is where Clark learns to be Superman. That's very flimsy. It, that's not... It's just... He goes in the ice house and he talks to his dead father on a like projection thing 
and it's weird and he doesn't say anything of value at all of course and then out of nowhere Clark flies out even though he's never flown before now he can fly he can fly he can fly he flew he flies out of the ice house not just in his regular old flannel and jeans oh no 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 he flies out in blue spandex and, and a red cape um Scott Yes. Where did he get that blue spandex and red cape from? Well, we fast forward to 10 years and he was given it. But but where was it? It was in Was it in the crystal? Yes. Did, where did it come from though? Like was Jarrell as he was saying his emotional dry ass goodbye to his son, was he sewing up his little cape and how did he know it would fit him? Well, Did he know what his size and dimensions were going to be at 18? Well, I think he assumed they would be similar to his own. Oh, he assumed that, did he? Okay. None of this makes sense. The origin story established in this movie is very, very flimsy. And then the thing is, after he leaves the Fortress of Solitude, he just leaves and becomes a reporter at the Daily Planet and just goes on living his life. Like, nothing changes. He just is a person. Yeah, he's a person. He's not like, I'm going to be Superman now. Da-da-da-da. No, he's just a guy. He was a guy before the fucking Ice House. He's a guy after the Ice House. Nothing changes. Except he learns to be a superhero. What does that mean? That's very, very vague. <laughs> you can't just say that, that it's a thing. It's a thing. In fucking Iron Man's origin story, you see him in his fortress of solitude, i.e. the cave and the thing, and he's building the suit and he's trying to get away from these terrorists and save his friend and do all this shit. He, there's nothing. He just walks into the ice house, talks to disembodied Marlon Brando, and then he leaves in a fucking cape. And there's no explanation for that. Moving on. <laughs> I had my rant now. I'm done. <laughs> okay. So he goes to Metropolis, as Frankie said in her rant, and becomes a reporter for the Daily Planet, where he first meets Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen and Perry White. Lois is played by Margot Kidder, and she's she's cool. I like her. Margot Kidder is a lot of fun. I definitely enjoy her iteration of Lois more than the one we have now which is like nothing amy adams is nothing as lois lane she is useless pointless annoying and dead-eyed <laughs> again it's funny because amy adams is a great actress right of course i like amy adams just i don't like her as lois lane and also she has zero chemistry with henry cavill at least in this they have chemistry oh they have a lot of chemistry the way Christopher Reeve plays Clark versus plays Superman. Like, Superman, he's confident. He's, I'm Superman, and I am here to save the day. Well, Clark is, you know, this bumbling fool who, can, you know, is a comedy of errors here. And, uh, oh, I got my coat stuck in the door. Oh, I, I spilled this drink on me. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, they, the first thing they do is, Lois is kind of, like, showing Clark around. He actually goes back to Perry White and goes, oh, Perry, I need you to send half my paycheck here. And Lois goes, don't tell me. He sends a check every week to his sweet gray-haired old mother. Actually, she's silver-haired. That was a stupid <laughs> fucking line. I was like, okay. 
<laughs> a lot of stupid lines in this and like it's stupid corny so some of them are passable because corniness well then but you, some of them are just fucking dumb well it's even funny because then he goes well i think it's really swell being here and lois looks and goes swell swell no one says swell anymore so now uh as lois is again showing him around the town they get held up at gunpoint Lois fucking kicks the fucking mugger in the face and almost gets shot. Yeah, that was that was fun. I I liked that little scene because it it's a good way to show both their characters because she is like a badass bitch. She's not you know she's not afraid to stand up for herself. But then Clark, <laughs> the mugger shoots at them, and Clark catches the bullet in his hand and falls to the ground. And Lois is like, Clark, Clark, are you okay? And he's like, oh, I guess I fainted. And she's like, you fainted? Like, you fucking pussy. And then she walks away and Superman opens his hand up and the bullet's in his hand. I was like, ah, that was a cute sequence. This is where we actually cut away from them. And the cops are following Otis, the bumbling fool and peon of Lex Luthor, who is played by Gene Hackman. Gene does a good job because he is gene hackman he's very fucking charismatic yes he gives off very uh slimy real estate mogul type vibes which works for this however i didn't find him particularly intimidating as lex luther he kind of just seemed like a skeevy one percenter which i guess isn't a bad thing but well in the same breath you can't have a lex luthor who is intimidating compared to Superman. Lex Luthor is never going to win a fist fight with Superman unless he uses kryptonite. And even then, he usually doesn't win the fist fight with Superman. And that's what we try and show throughout this movie every time we cut to Gene Hackman, is Gene Hackman is 10 steps ahead, but he's got his bumbling fool of Otis and Miss Tessmacher. Yeah, every time he like try- he calls out for her to do something, he's like, Miss Tessmacher! <laughs> It's just like you can't even understand what he's saying. So Lois now is going to take a helicopter ride and doesn't go well. No. <laughs> Lois Lane has a lot of bad luck. She reminds me of me. Just everywhere she goes, anything she has to do ends up in a fucking disaster. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Uh, you didn't marry me, dear. I guess I'm a disaster. Oh, oh. no, no. I used up all my good luck on you, dear. <laughs> so uh, the helicopter basically gets caught in some wires and starts to fall off the ledge of the building. Lois is, like, hanging by her seatbelt. And then Clark sees her hat on the ground that he she was wearing earlier. He goes, I know this hat. Yeah, and he sees a bunch of people standing outside like gawking at the fucking disaster up there and he's like oh my god Lois and then he runs off presumably to change his outfit he like unbuttons his jacket and the Superman outfit is on underneath but then like why are you trying to find somewhere to change if you're just gonna unbutton right in the middle of the street okay but then even more confusing he flies into like this swinging revolving door and then he comes out the other side and he's got the outfit on. And it's like, okay. And then <laughs> to make sure you guys know how cool that was, he passes by an African-American gentleman in the street. And uh, upon seeing Superman's outfit 
the black gentleman goes, oh, yeah, you looking cool. Like some bullshit like that. And it's like, what the fuck is going on here? Well, don't you know that African-American people, when they remark that your outfit looks cool, you're automatically cool. It's just how it works. So, yeah, Superman flies up, catches Lois as she falls, and catches the helicopter with one hand. Oh, yeah, and then he, he brings her down and brings the helicopter down says, like, well, are you okay, Miss Lane? We don't want you to be averse to flying now. <laughs> and then <laughs> as he's bringing her down to the ground, one of the people in the big crowd that are gawking, she goes... Oh my god, I can't believe he caught her. Oh my god, like really loud and obnoxious, like just to let the audience know what happened. It's like, yeah, lady, we saw it. You don't relax. <laughs> it, Frankie's Linda Belcher just came out there a little bit. <laughs> just shave up to the knee. Only strippers shave above the knee. The good ones, anyway. You know, now that we've had our official introduction to Superman at his at his peak, saving the day, you know, all that good stuff, I feel like now's a great time to launch into one of our favorite segments in this show, The Cast Could Have This is uh, our first Cast Could Have for the new year, for 2021. Very exciting. So I'm, I'm going to start off with a couple of our smaller ones and then get to the big kahuna, which is Superman, obviously. So... First things first, Lex Luthor. We have Mr. Dustin Hoffman, who was offered the role but turned it down. Uh, and then we have Jack Nicholson, because Jack Nicholson. And I think the most interesting one, uh, Mr. Gene Wilder was considered for the role of Lex Luthor. I actually don't mind that. I don't either. I feel like that would be awesome. Because I, I feel like comic actors generally do a good job with more I don't want to say serious in this movie but like badass roles I guess well no Lex Luthor especially in this movie is much more manic yeah and I feel like Gene Wilder would have done a decent job with that Jack Nicholson might have been too much yeah I think Jack Nicholson would have been too much I think Dustin Hoffman though probably would have been like the perfect go-between between Wilder and Nicholson like he has that serious stoicness about him but he also can be a little wackadoo but yeah I think any of those would have been interesting uh and for Lois Lois Lane we have Natalie Wood we have Liza Minnelli Barbara Streisand Stocker Channing who I assume instead of doing this ended up doing Grease which worked out just fine for her and um, Carrie Fisher. Okay. Yeah. Carrie which Fisher. Which makes even more sense because this was right around Star Wars. So <laughs> she would have got butts in seats. Her and Margot Kidder, just the way they acted and the way they both yes. kind of portrayed. They're very they're, similar. They both work. Uh, they have a similar vibe. It'd be... Uh, God, imagine being fucking... She goes from being fucking Princess Leia to fucking Lois Lane. That would have been crazy. I mean, she. it would have been even, I feel like, even more crazy for her just because that, that's two big powerhouse nerd-tastic roles. So I think Barbara Streisand would have been probably the weirdest just because it's Babs, but... Yeah. And Liza Minnelli also would have been weird. weird. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So now let's move on to the big kahuna. 
Superman. Superman. Now, there were over 200 actors who auditioned for the role of Superman in this movie. And we will read them all off right now. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, (laughs) It's like the last scene in fucking Chicago 7, just like reading off names for 20 fucking minutes. Um, First things first, we have John Travolta, who ended up doing Grease instead, obviously, which worked out well. Apparently, Robert Redford was offered the role, but he wanted too much money. <laughs> well, yeah, he's Robert fucking Redford. And James Caan was also offered the role, but he said, I'm not wearing that fucking dumbass suit, <laughs> which, like, fair, bro. <laughs> That's uh, totally I, fair. <laughs> I get it. Uh, I get it. Um, like, now, you know, superhero movies are so common that, like, no one would care about having to do that, especially since they'd be getting paid bajillions of dollars. <laughs> But back of that, it's like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out. Like, it's it's weird because, like, I was saying to you before, if this was released now as a superhero movie, it would totally flop. Well, yeah, because we've, we've gone away and from... And it's not even about the visual effects. It's just, like, the pacing and the well, overall... No, of course. ...shape of the movie. It just would have flopped. Well, we've gone away from the cheesiness of superheroes. Like, this is based off the Silver Age of comics where... We were allowed to be kind of cheesy. They all had goofy sayings. They all had the fucking, I'm Batman and I can do this. I'm Superman and I can, I'm faster than this. You had Adam West for Batman. You have Christopher Reeve for Superman. Like, again, it's not, it's not like that now. It, all these characters are darker. They have a darker side to them. Well, it's like this, I feel like brought about the age of cheesy superheroes and then that kind of died out and then we got the Nolan Batmans bringing about the dark superheroes well, and then that kind of happened and then the Marvel Universe happened and now I feel like people are kind of getting sick of the dark superhero genre and now we're slowly but surely kind of going not totally back to the cheesy but at least on the lighter side like Shazam Guardians. Was big hit, Guardians like that kind of thing so I don't know it, it's it's just a matter of, I guess, taste and what people want to see and what they get used to and sick of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Where we are in the cycle. Right. <laughs> but some other actors who were considered for the role of Superman in this 1978 classic. Let's see. Clint Eastwood. Oh, boy. <laughs> just when in doubt in the 70s. Just fucking ask Clint Eastwood, I guess. Warren Beatty, of course. I feel like every fucking time Warren yeah. Beatty's in the mix. Sam Elliott, Burt Reynolds, Jeff Bridges, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Yeah. And here here are real uh, ringers here. Harrison Ford. Yeah. Obvi. That would have been funny if Carrie Fisher Harrison again, Ford again. Would have, yeah, that actually... Oh, that would have been actually hilarious, yeah. We had Paul Newman offered the choice of either Superman, Lex Luthor, or Jor-El for $4 million, and he turned down all of them. He like, been, fuck you. Paul Newman would have been a fun Jor-El. He's like, no. Again, superhero movie. But they, they would have they let him be Superman, Lex... Or Jor-El. <laughs> and he was like, no. <laughs> they would have paid him $4 million to do Jor-El. Yeah. Fucking insane. Um, and then, last but not least, after the success of Rocky, Sylvester Stallone campaigned to play Superman, but was rejected for being, ready for this, too Italian. <laughs> Peter, what are you doing? Speaking Italian. Babbity boopy. 
Peter, you can't speak Italian just because you have a mustache. That, I feel like, is the weirdest one for sure. Oh, yeah, Stallone would have been weird. I mean, my God. <laughs> I still would have loved to see uh, fucking Nick Cage eventually actually do a Superman role. Oh, yeah. Uh, that would have been weird, though. It would have been, but at the time they were talking about it, he wasn't. He wasn't the Nick Cage we know now that takes every fucking role because he has fucking tax problems. But again, I would have it'd been interesting seeing him as Superman with Kevin Smith, I think, directing that. No, he would have wrote it. Wrote it, uh. Still would have been fun. What was that one gonna be called? Superman Lives. Yes. Yeah, that that was a weird thing. And then if you've ever heard Kevin Smith talk, like he, he did a whole Q&A kind of documentary where there's a portion where he talks about the Superman Lives controversy and he said that the potential producer of that movie I forget the man's name but he wanted there to be a giant spider in the third act that Superman fights and Kevin Smith was just befuddled by that idea he's like I got some directives for you one I don't want to see him in that suit Two, I don't want to see him fly. And three, he's got to fight a giant spider in the third act. And I'm like, let's, let's go back to one. But then a few years later, he saw the movie uh, Wild Wild West in theaters, and it was produced by the same guy, and lo and behold, it's a giant mechanical spider in the third act, and he's like, oh, all right. And, you know, we all know how that worked out. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole Superman cinematic universe the the journey this character's been on is very interesting <laughs> so in the same night where clark saves lois he also stops two thieves one a bunch who are on a boat he puts the boat down in front of the playstation gives the other thief to a cop and he also gets a girl's cat out of the tree. And oh, yeah, that was funny. And then, like, he flies away, and the little girl goes to her mother's like, Mommy, Mommy, a flying man saved my cat. And she's like, didn't I tell you not to lie? And then you hear a th- and it's like, oh, my God. Child abuse is so funny. <laughs> it's just <sighs> weird because, like, all, all, to that point, all the humor has been so corny and, like, dorky and cheesy, and then that comes out of nowhere, and it's like, whoa. So we cut to the next day where Perry White is talking to all his reporters going, I want this guy's name. I want an interview. I want it now. Lois, of course, gets a note during this because, you know, Clark is super fast and slipped a note in her pocket that he'll meet her on her balcony tonight, signed, a friend. Oh, yes, because that's how he referred to himself when he saved her life. She's like, who are you? And he's like, I am a friend. Ha, <laughs> I don't know why I keep adding the corny laughter at the end. I just feel like it makes sense every time he says something. So that night, Lois is chilling on her balcony and Superman appears. Yeah, Superman appears and Lois begins this interview. And the first question she asks is, are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? Oh my God. Of course, because she's a woman and that's all she cares about. (laughs) She just wants that super D. It's just funny. So then she starts asking his age, and he's like, oh, I'm over 21. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, she asks his uh, size. Oh, yeah. She goes, how big are you? I mean, how tall are you? And I'm like, what? Margo Kidder. Yeah, she's like overtly flirting with Superman. And even though it is super cheesy, 
it's actually cute. Like they definitely do have a chemistry. What color are my panties? Oh yeah, and he X-rays her fucking underwear, which is like ew, okay, but well, at first she, it's supposed to be funny and cutesy. <laughs> well, she asked for it. True. She does ask. She's like, what yeah, but he didn't ask her to X-ray her lungs for lung cancer, dear. No, well, okay. that was also a, I would say an invasion of privacy, but that's such a specific invasion that I don't even know how to like categorize it. They have this cutesy interaction. She does learn that he can't see through lead. And apparently he never tells a lie. Yeah, which is also a questionable statement because your whole existence is a lie because in reality you're Clark Kent, but you're also Superman. Okay, whatever. Let's not think about it too hard. He never lies. He omits some truths. That's a nice way to say lie, dear. Uh, Semantics. Okay, sure. (laughs) The most important part of the scene is that Superman, Clark Kent, he calls his home planet Krypton. Krypton, which is what it's supposed to be called, but earlier in the movie it was called Krypton. So how does he know to call it Krypton? That doesn't make sense. This leads to one of the most famous scenes where he goes, fly with me. And Lois is like, oh, oh, okay, sure. And it's cute. They go up in the air and they're flying around and it's very whimsical. The score is great at this part. It's very cute. I wanted to sing A Whole New World the whole time while they're, while they're flying around. Yeah, and then I didn't remember Lois having this inner monologue. Oh, that was super weird and super out of nowhere and uncomfortable and unnecessary. <laughs> It's like they're flying around and you just hear Lois's inner monologue going like, oh, can you read my mind? Oh, it's so wonderful flying around with you. I want to be your girlfriend. Shit like that. It's like so unnecessary. Like we get it. It's very whimsical and cutesy and you like this boy that's flying around with you. We don't really need to hear you saying that. It's just weird. Yeah. And it's like in this husky whispered tone. It's awkward. You know what it kind of reminded me of? What? Harrison Ford's unnecessary voiceover from Blade Runner if you've ever heard that yes absolutely it's very unnecessary and stupid and Harrison Ford didn't want to do it so he just sounded like he was waiting for a fucking bus <laughs> just like uh, uh, okay, uh, yeah, I, I got I got 20 minutes I can, can I get this done in 20 minutes okay sure sure fine so they land and then the story comes out I spent the night with Superman that's a catchy-ass headline if I've ever heard one. <laughs> so Lex reads the article, and he f- hears the word Krypton, and he figures out like the timeline of Krypton's explosion, because that's in the article. And he figures out that some meteorite that fell 10 years ago must be the remnants of his planet. So somehow, through his genius intellect... That must be his weakness. There's kryptonite. Lex Luthor figured it out. Kryptonite. There you go. That was so... It just felt like lazy writing that he just like magically just figures all this out. It's He had to make a lot of jumps in a, in assumptions to just put all this together. That like, oh, any shrapnel of anything around that time must be remnants from Krypton. And then there must be some kind of substance out of that stuff that could fight Superman. And it, it, nothing makes sense. Even Miss Testmacher's like, what? And then 
fucking later on you see Superman or Clark Kent I should say at work talking to his boss and all of a sudden Clark hears this dog whistle and covers his ears and it's like ow ow and then through the dog whistle you hear Lex Luthor talking and saying like the only thing that doesn't have four legs that can hear this is Superman so listen up and I'm like wait how does he know that (laughs) how does he how has he determined that Superman can hear dog whistles and can communicate with Superman via dog whistle that doesn't make any it just came again out of nowhere and I was like wait what (laughs) And then he's like, oh, come meet me in my secret lair underground. And that's precisely what he does. Well, you missed the point where he jumps out of the window. Right. He jumps. Oh, my God. He jumps out of the window of the fucking Daily Planet and mid-fall changes his outfit, which doesn't also weird as fuck. I thought this was supposed to be a secret. Does no one, do you think no one would notice a fucking grown man jumping out a fucking 10-story window and changing his clothes mid-fall and turning into Superman and flying away? No one's going to notice that? No one's going to notice a grown man jumping out of a fucking 10-story window, period? Like, I don't understand any of this. And then he fucking goes to Lex Luthor's evil lair and they have their fucking scene together, which is good... Like, the acting is good, but also the, the, the evil plan and the, the scheme, and it doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, okay, so earlier on, Lex apparently snuck over and changed the coordinates the two missiles were supposed to fire to. Where were they firing these missiles to begin with? I don't know, but he changes the coordinates to fire at Hackensack, New Jersey, and the San Andreas Fault. He says he's going to uh, fire at the San Andreas Fault to cause half of California to fall into the ocean. And he owns the other half of California, apparently. Uh, nothing nothing makes sense. It's fine. But, Just keep going. You know, super villains. Of course, Lois is interviewing the guy that sold Lex Luthor the land. So she's, of course, in California. Clark is like, this is ridiculous. This is a dumb plan. Lex goes, ah, but it will happen because it is happening as we speak. I have the detonator in that lead box. Superman opens the box. It's kryptonite. And, like, it it makes him all weak in the knees. And then Lex Luthor... Weak in the knees. Puts the... (laughs) (laughs) Makes him all weak in the knees. No, I'm sorry. That was was Margot Kidder. Um, But he puts this necklace of kryptonite around Superman's neck and pushes him into this big body of water. That is just it's in a his pool. house. He, it's a pool. He has an it's indoor a, pool. It doesn't, yeah, it looks like just a, a moat, essentially, but it's a pool. I don't know. It's weird. But anyway, rich people, man. So Lex leaves thinking he has defeated Superman, and Lex's little female lackey is like, but but Lex, my mother lives in Hackensack. New Jersey. Of course. Whatever. And then he's like, oh, who cares? And then off he goes. But she feels bad, so she goes to Superman and is like, I'll save you, Superman, but first you have to promise that you're going to save my mother from the fucking Missile. rocket. Yeah. And he's like, fine. Okay, I promise. Just, you know, help me out here. So she goes into the water, pulls Superman out, and he's like, 
barely conscious and because it's totally fine and it's 1978 she kisses him when he's half alive <laughs> and then he then takes the fucking kryptonite off of his chest why did why did you kiss me first i didn't think you'd let me later ew <laughs> Ew, 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 no. Me too, no. <laughs> it's like if the roles were reversed and it was a guy doing Sleeping that to beauty. a girl. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Like, no, no. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it, it just, it's just funny because he gives her this look. He's like, okay, fine. I have to go save New Jersey. Uh, you really though like can, can we just let it go i think oh let it go? no no we love yeah. new, we love new jersey they gave us the boss and bon jovi oh geez all right i guess they're living on the prayer frankie uh so he flies off he uh goes and takes the first missile to space saving uh new jersey but the second missile hits the san andreas fault and earthquakes start uh, Lois almost gets crushed in a gas station. It just seems so convoluted that, like, she just happens to be in California when all this is going on. It's so stupid. It, it is a little dumb, but you know what? It's real estate fraud she was investigating. Uh-huh. Uh, but- I mean, honest to God, like, that is probably one of the least suspension of disbelief issues I have with this movie. But it's just, it, it's just convoluted. Yeah. The writing is convoluted. There are people he's saving randomly but he doesn't hear Lois in time and Lois gets crushed by the earth oh my god yeah at this point because the pacing was so slow and the writing was so stupid I was kind of like in and out but at this point when Lois was dying I kind of woke back up a little bit because her death scene is super gruesome like more gruesome than I was expecting like it was uncomfortable to watch her like slowly getting crushed and, and die like it was it was hard to watch yeah she's running out of oxygen she's like she's like screaming reaching her hand out margo kidder actually does a really good job between this and like black christmas she does a really good job of dying <laughs> that's kind of a weird compliment but yeah no i agree and then clark finds her and has this very he does a good job but objectively the scene is pretty melodramatic <laughs> in in how he's like no no no, no! and then he flies up into the air and starts spinning around the world to well, try to turn it back before he starts spinning around the world he hears both his fathers oh my god the mufasa moment Oh my god, he flies up in the air into the clouds as he's about to turn back time and he hears the voice of his dead father, his dead space father, telling him not to interfere with human history, but like dad, we're already past that point. Well, he hears that one and then he hears Pac. And then he hears this other Mufasa and he's like, you're meant for great things, Clark. So he spins around the world the opposite way to turn back time, which isn't a thing. But you know what? I can suspend my disbelief on that because... Frankie's a sucker for time travel. That's true. Just that's a personal thing. But in general, time travel is not a real thing so if you make up fucking rules for time travel like i'm cool with that that's fine i just wanted to say that because i know it probably sounds weird that the idea of 
time traveling by spinning around the world a million times isn't weird to me but the idea of lex luther communicating with superman through a dog whistle is weird there is a level of suspicion of disbelief that i'm okay with and a level that is not okay that's my line (laughs) it's a weird line it's a squiggly (laughs) line but it's a line oh god uh so he finally lands next to lois's car and lois goes where's the superman when you need him i almost got killed by a gas station over there by the way she has no idea that she was dead literally five right, seconds well, ago they're back in time but I, d- I did like that moment where he lands next to her car and he sees her alive again and he just has this like really sweet look on his face is very nice is he was i i like christopher reeve in this he yeah. pretty much he carries a lot of the movie yes. on his shoulders let's put it that way and they're about to kiss and who comes running up but jimmy olsen Oh, damn you, Jimmy Olsen, for getting in the way of our makeout session. Superman goes, okay, I have to go take care of something. I'll see you later. Bye. You know, you have no gas, your car doesn't work, and you're stuck in the desert. But bye. <laughs> Peace. And then as he's leaving, Lois and Jimmy are talking, and she's like, hmm, isn't it? You know what I just thought of? It's kind of weird that Superman and Clark are ne- have never been in the same room together. That's so weird, but no, no, no. They can't be the same person. That's just crazy. <laughs> they look the exact same in the face, except one wears glasses and one doesn't. And, but, and one's <laughs> confident and one's a bumbling idiot, and it's impossible. Like, it's fine. Let's not think about it too hard. Uh, Superman goes, picks up Otis and Gene Hackman, takes them to prison. The warden is like, you saved the world, Superman. He goes, oh, it's not just me. We're all part of the team. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and he flies off into the into the air uh and the end credits start over the main theme again yes. which again is awesome and then that's that's that, superman that is superman 1978 it's a it's a thing that exists the second one actually is a better movie because i think you have more there and if you think about the second one plus this one this is kind of like a weird little like origin story. Let's just throw everything against the wall. And the second one kind of has more of a plot. Yeah, I I didn't not like this. I think the pacing was not great. I think the writing was not great. But the performances kind of saved it a little bit. And the music obviously saved it a little bit. It's It's fun. I had fun making fun of certain parts of it. But overall, I, I would say it's not necessarily a timeless film. Timeless might not be the right word, but I, I would call it a classic film. Sure. Okay. But Frankie, what is your rating for Superman 1978? I gave this a three out of five stars. I I definitely enjoyed parts of it, but the pacing and the lack of just common logic was a little too much for me at times. <laughs> I understand that. I, I get it. Again, you didn't grow up with this film. like Right. I don't have the nostalgic beer goggles that you have with this. <laughs> I, I grew up with Superman. I've, wa- I watched, I've, I've watched this one and the second one a lot. So what do you have it rated? I have it. Uh, I have this one as a four out of five. Okay. I, I again. I I do admit there are some pacing issues, 
But uh, overall, I'm okay with the cheese. I'm fine with the cheese. You can melt some nacho cheese in my mouth. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> and I will gladly accept it most times. There's a reason that when you talk about everyone's top favorite Marvel movies, mine's Guardians. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm all about the cheese, man. I mean, the cheese in this movie is kind of what got me through, but there are points where the cheese is just too cheesy, almost. Or maybe not cheesy enough. I don't know. I don't know what the formula is here. Can we ever not have enough cheese? I feel like we all need enough cheese in our life. (laughs) We all need all the cheese. Okay, now I just want mac and cheese now. So let's, let's wrap this baby up so I can eat some cheese. Next week on Shoot the Flick, we will be watching... Another classic film. <laughs> oh, oh, is it a classic? It's it's a movie that I've referenced a few times that I'm going to force, I mean, invite Scott to rewatch with me. And it's uh, it's going to be a fun fun time uh, full of misery. I mean, music and glee. So I'm I'm excited. Um, but until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Heisenberg. Okay. <laughs> Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our lyrical, harmonious, melodical movie adventure. Boom. Yeah.